Amen. You may be seated and welcome. It is great to see you this morning. And I'm going to have you uh, grab your Bibles, if you would. And there's a couple passages we're going to go to. We're actually going to start in John chapter 6. John chapter 6. And then quickly, we're going to go over to Matthew chapter 14. So if you don't have a Bible, I'd encourage you to grab one of the black Bibles that we have uh, in the seat backs. And you can find John chapter 6 on page 638 of the black Bibles and Matthew and page 770. And there's a reason we open up the Bible is because even as David prayed that... I don't have a whole lot to say, but Jesus has a lot to say, and this is his word, and I pray it's his word for us today. Whether a trial or a storm, Christians are going to experience them. In fact, so often trials are storms and storms are trials. And it's been said many times that for a Christian, you're either going into a storm, you're coming out of a storm, or you're smack dab in a storm right now. And some of you are saying, yep, that's me. I can identify with that for sure. In fact, when you read the scriptures, you see all kinds of storms. I mean, I'll go back to Genesis and, and Noah. He was obedient to the Lord. He built an ark. And then he experienced a storm of biblical proportions, right? I mean, that was quite the storm. And then you think of, of Joseph. Joseph was obedient to his father to go check on his brothers, and he goes through the storm of being sold into slavery and spending the next 20 years in Egypt. How about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They were, they were obedient to not bow down to any other idols. And as a result, they experienced the storm of being thrown into a fiery furnace. Or just a couple chapters later in Daniel chapter 6, Daniel, not... Uh, Praying, continuing to pray, being obedient to continue to pray to the Lord was thrown into the fiery furnace of a, of a lion's den. Jonah. Many of you know the story of Jonah, disobedient to the father. Instead of going to Nineveh, he runs, he gets on a ship and he goes to Tarshish. And then we know that the Lord hurled a mighty storm on him and he finds himself being cast into the sea. How about Paul? Acts chapter 27, on his way, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, to, to, to testify to Caesar. And he gets caught in a storm, ultimately shipwrecked. And then what about the storm that Jesus went through? Obedient to the Father to go to the cross, crucified, died, but then was raised again. There's various reasons that Christians experience storms. It could be refining. It could be correction. It could be a test. But it also can be faith building. But here is one constant that we as Christians have when we go through storms. And that is this. Jesus is with us in the midst of the storm. We're not alone. He is with us. In fact, I'll put this on the screen. Storms can deepen our faith. And they're a reminder to look to Jesus. Storms, they will deepen our faith when we trust in the Lord in the midst of the storm. But it's a reminder always to put our eyes on Jesus, to put our eyes on the Lord. 
we're coming to a passage in which we're going to see quite this storm. In fact, in John chapter 6, Jesus deals with this storm, but he leaves out a lot of details. We know that John was written according to the end of John. He says, these things were written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you would have life in his name. And so Jesus, uh, he explains after the feeding of the 5,000, this storm, I'm going to read it, but then we're going to turn back to Matthew chapter 14. Look at, look at John chapter 6 and verse 16. It says, when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not come to, yet come to them. The sea became rough because of a strong wind was blowing. And when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat. And they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I. Do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat. And immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Now there's a lot that could be said about that passage. But we're going to go back to Matthew and we're going to interpret Scripture with Scripture because Matthew gives us a more fully orbed understanding of what took place that night. And I pray that it will encourage you as you see this storm that these disciples go through. The title of the message today is Looking to Jesus. What we want to do is look at the importance of looking to Jesus. Well, here's the first one. I'll put it on the screen. When the winds are against you, look to Jesus. When the winds are against you, look to Jesus. Look at verse 22 of, chapter Ma- of, of Matthew chapter 14. Matthew 14, 22. It says, immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. So again, this is after the feeding of the 5,000. And it says that Jesus made the disciples get into the boat. The 12, they get into this boat. Might have been about a 27-foot boat. Maybe 8 or 9 feet wide. Uh, uh, It's said that you could put up to 15 people in a boat like that. That seems pretty tight to me. But it says he sent them to the other side. Remember, we looked last week that they were on the northeast coast of the northern part of uh, the Sea of Galilee. And they go from, from Bethsaida over to the west to Capernaum. Jesus sent them because he wanted to dismiss the crowds. Not sure why. The, the, the Bible doesn't tell us why. But we learn something in verse 23 about what he does next. It says, and after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. Jesus went up on the mountain by himself to pray, to commune with the Father. Jesus had had an intense day. It was a draining day. Let me ask you, how many of you have ever had an intense draining day? At the end of an intense training day, what do you usually want to do? Kind of veg out? Click on Netflix? Some might self-medicate a little bit, but what does Jesus do? I think this is such a great example for us. He gets alone with the Father. 
to refresh, to restore, to recharge. It's a great example for us. Jesus needed to get alone with the Father. Jesus fully God, Jesus fully man. And because Jesus was so popular, and because there was so much demand on his time, he had to, have, he had to fight for his time to be alone with the Lord. And I think some of you are saying, yeah, I know what it's like to have a busy day. And I know what it's like to have a lot of things demanding my time. Jesus struggled to find time to be alone with the Lord, but he got away. He went up on the mountain alone to be with the Father. And the fact is, some of you might find yourself struggling to be alone with the Father. Jesus understands that. But if he were here today, and he is by his spirit, he would tell you, fight for your time to be alone with the Father. Make sure you have time to restore, to replenish, to refresh. In fact, that's why Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 20, uh, verse 6, chapter 6, verse 33, he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all other things shall be added unto you. So let me ask you this question. What excuses have you put up lately to justify not spending time alone with the Lord? This was a busy day. In fact, Spurgeon talks about this day. Listen to what he says. I'll put it up on the screen here. Charles Spurgeon, the, 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 great, uh, the great preacher says, it was a very busy day that he had had. If you read the narrative for yourself, you will be astonished at the number of miracles which he wrought that day. And all of them in addition to the preaching. So he must have, had, he must have been well worn with weariness, but he sought rather the rest and refreshment of prayer than that of sleep. I don't know about you, but there's been times where I just am looking for something else to do to restore and refresh, and nothing restores and refreshes quite like being alone with the Lord. It was a long day. Now, in contrast to Jesus up on the mountain, praying, being alone with the Lord, Look what's going on in the boat. I mean, this contrast is I don't believe by accident. Notice what it says in verse 24. But the boat, the boat by this time was a long way from the land. And it says beaten by the waves for the wind was against them. That word beaten, it's, it's the idea, it's a word for torture or punishment or torment. I mean, this was, a, this was an amazing storm. And, and Mark, in fact, Mark 6.48 says, they were making headway painfully for the wind was against them. Now, storms on the Sea of Galilee can be intense. And they can be very dangerous. The Sea of Galilee is 700 feet below sea level. Mount Hermon to the north is about 9,200 feet tall. That's a differential of about 9,900 feet these cold winds can rush down off of Mount Hermon and they hit the warm, moist waters on the Sea of Galilee. And all of a sudden, you have this explosion of wind and storms. In fact, it's said that the Sea of Galilee can be like a, a boiling cauldron. And that's probably what's going on here. While Jesus rested in the Father, 
the disciples were fighting the waves. They were struggling. They were tossing and turning. Listen, when the winds are against you, look to Jesus. Well, secondly, we learn this. When confusion and darkness sets in, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Look at verse 25. And in the fourth watch of the night, the fourth watch would have been between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. There's four watches from 6 to 9 is the first watch. 9 to midnight is the second watch. Midnight to 3 a.m. is the third watch. And this is the fourth watch of the night. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, he being Jesus, walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, Take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. Okay. You got to imagine how long of a night this must have been. They were in the boat before it would have gotten dark. They didn't have that far to go across the sea. And now it's at least nine to ten hours later, and they're being thrashed about. At this point, I'm sure they're wondering, where is the Lord? Have you ever been in a storm and wondered, where are you, God? I feel alone. Where are you? But I'm reminded of of Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, where it says, uh, in fact, it's quoting Joshua 1, 5, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Or, Or Matthew chapter 28, verse 20, where Jesus at the end of the Great Commission says, he says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Listen, you can take that to the bank. Jesus is with you in the midst of the storm. So in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus came to them walking on the sea. And notice what it says. It says they were terrified. (laughs) No kidding. I mean, they were, that to me is an understatement of biblical proportions. That that word means to be stirred up, to be troubled. It evokes this strong emotional distress, and they cry out, it's a ghost. Now, I've read through the Bible many times, and I believe that's the only time, I mean, Jesus is called a lot of things. But it's the only time he's ever called a ghost. I mean, he's called a prophet. He's called a blasphemer. I mean, he's called a lot of things. But here he's called a ghost. Now, these guys have been on an emotional roller coaster. It's just one of those days. I mean, the beginning of of Matthew chapter 14, uh, they've just found out about the fact that John the Baptist has been beheaded. And certainly by Herod, that that certainly would have just evoked all of these emotions. And and we know that they've been on this mission. So they come back, they get with Jesus, they're going to download with Jesus. He says, let's go to the other side of the sea. So they're going to the other side of the sea. And they see, as we talked about last week, they see thousands of people running along the coast to to catch up with them. And so they get to the other side and they go up onto the mountain. And and it says that Jesus, he taught them all day and he, he healed all that were sick. And then it's getting late in the afternoon, and they need food. So Jesus feeds the 5,000, and the disciples, I mean, they're the ones that are passing out the food. It's been a long, draining, emotional day, and now they get in the boat, and it says Jesus pushes them off. And, and, and they're in the boat, 
And you can imagine they're just talking about all that's taken place and just like talk about a spiritual high after, after this feeding of the 5,000. It was a mountaintop experience. And what often happens after mountaintop experiences? Storms. Trials. I mean, you see it with Jesus after he's, he's baptized and, 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 and the Holy Spirit descends like a dove. And he hears these words from the Father, this is my son in whom I well please. And, and then he's sent out into the wilderness for 40 days to be tempted. And here, these, these men, they've, been, they've had this emotional roller coaster day, but they end on a spiritual high. And then all of a sudden, bam, this storm comes. And they're fighting and they're toiling. And, and then all of a sudden, in the fourth watch of the night, like three, four in the morning. I mean, how many of you guys are awake at three or four in the morning? I mean, some of you are. You're toiling. You're fighting against the waves. And all of a sudden, they see Jesus walking on the waters, on the waves. They cry out, it's a ghost, and they're fearful. I don't know about you, but that would have been unsettling to me. I mean, it's dark. They have to be confused. I mean, they don't expect Jesus to be walking on the water. But what does Jesus do here? He doesn't toy with them, but he immediately gives them three statements of comfort. And this is what I love about our Lord. Notice what he says in verse 27. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Those are three statements of comfort, three words of comfort. That word, take heart, it's, 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 it's a word of peace. In fact, the NIV and the NAS says, take courage. It's the idea of having confidence and firmness of purpose in the face of danger. It's a reminder that we can have peace in the midst of a storm. That's why Romans chapter 5 verse 1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. It was, a, it was a word of peace, even in the midst of the storm, because he says that the storm is still swirling around them. But secondly, he says, it is I. In fact, in the original, it would be I am. It's the covenant name. We see that in Exodus chapter 3, when Moses says, who are you? Who should I say sent me? He says, I am sent you. It's a word of power. I am the great I am. In fact, Matthew chapter 28, 18, Jesus says, all authority has been given to me. He is, he is a, it's a word of power. He says, I am the I am. But then we see there's a word of potential. He says, do not be afraid. So you're thinking, why is that a word of potential? Well, because he says, it's in the tense, do not be afraid and do not be afraid again. You don't need to fear. It's a command not to fear and to never fear again. Why? Because Jesus is the great I am, and it's a reminder that he is with us when we go through the storms. Let me give you a couple of verses that I think could be very helpful to you. Psalm 23, just a beautiful psalm. So many of us love that psalm. But Psalm 23, 4 says this. says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Now, notice that it says, 
I don't stay in the valley of the shadow of death, but I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Notice this. It says, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. In the midst of the storm, he's with us. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The correcting rod, the redirecting staff, they comfort me. When we go through the storm, the valley of the shadow of death, he is with us. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 43, verses 1 through the first part of 3. It says, but now, thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not. Why? For I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. And then we move on. It says, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. He is with us in the midst of the storm. We are not alone. I want you to understand something here. I think this is a really important point. Not because I said it but I believe it's really helpful. Jesus is greater than any storm you're in. Jesus is greater than any storm you're in or any storm you will ever go through. And that's why it's so important to look to him. Now, he may not come in the first watch of the night. He may not come in the second watch of the night. He may not come in until the third watch of the night or the fourth watch of the night. In fact, I would just... If you're taking notes, write down Exodus chapter 14, 13 and 14. When the nation of Israel, they've seen all these great things that God had done, the 10 different plagues, and now they're, they're, they're getting ready to, to, to go towards the promised land, but now they're backed up against the Red Sea. And all the Egyptian army is coming at them. And they're kind of freaking out. And the, the Lord gives them a word. You only need to stand still and watch the salvation of the Lord. When the wind is against you, look to Jesus. When confusion and darkness set in, look to Jesus. Third, when fear has you sinking, look to Jesus. When fear has you sinking, look to Jesus. Look at verse 28. And Peter had answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Okay, that's a really strange request. I'm not sure that I'd be sitting in that boat saying, okay, Lord, if that's you, command me to walk to you on the water. In fact, Spurgeon says this. He says, it was a strange impulse. And I agree. Now, when it says, if it is you, it's in the first class conditional. So it could actually be, since it is you. And you're seeing here how Peter's faith is starting to grow. So Jesus' response is, Come. It's a command. We see that in verse 29. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. I think we have to stop for a minute and commend Peter for his faith. He had enough faith to get out of the boat. Now, we know that Peter's very impetuous. You know, he, he, he puts his foot before he, in his mouth before he ever speaks. But 
They've had this long, exhausting day. The storm is swirling around them. It's dark. And Peter says, if it's you, Lord, command me to come. So Peter steps out of the boat, and he walks on the water. Now, I don't know if Jesus was 10 yards away, 20 yards away, 30 yards away. But remember who's recording this. It's Matthew. Matthew was one of the 12. He was there in the boat when it happened. And I started thinking about what it must have been like 30 years later when Matthew is writing down this account. And he's thinking about it. He must have been thought, thinking to his, in his mind, that was an awesome moment. It's like, you know, our, our fate, our, you know, we're sprayed with water. We're exhausted. And Peter gets out of the boat. And there he is walking on the water. It was an incredible demonstration of faith. Listen to what James Boyce says about this faith. He says this, faith is not merely knowing that Jesus is the son of God and believing that he can save us from sin, but actually committing ourselves to him. So it's not just ascending to the idea that he can save us from our sins, but it's this absolute commitment to him. Peter demonstrated that by stepping out of the boat and committing himself to Jesus. As long as Jesus told him to come, and as long as he kept his eyes on the Savior, he was safe. It was the moment he took his eyes off of Jesus that he began to sink. And that's what happens to us. It's when our eyes are firmly focused on the Lord. We're marinating in his word. We're looking to him. We're praying Storm might be swirling around us, but we're not sinking. What can happen is we start looking at the circumstances, and the circumstances put us almost like in this whirlpool, and we just start spiraling down. That's why we got to keep our eyes on Jesus. Look at verse 30 again. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and he began to sink. He, he, he starts beginning to sink. Storms of life can humble us. Notice what he says here. He says, it said, but when he saw the wind, he was beginning to sink, and he cried out, Lord, save me. Fear causes us to sink, but faith keeps us afloat. And that's what you see here. He, he allowed the fear of the circumstances around him to cause him to sink. Peter doesn't, though, he doesn't completely lose faith because he has enough faith to say, Lord, save me. In that moment, he hadn't lost all faith. But he was able to say, Lord, save me. And there's times where, as, as believers, we just need to, to say, Lord, I desperately need you right now. It's the cry of a person that's throwing off self-reliance and self-sufficiency and looking to the Lord. It's a reminder of the call of the prodigal son. You know, he, he goes off in all this prodigal living, and he finds himself in a pigsty. And, and it says in Luke chapter 15, and when he came to himself, he looked up, and he remembered the father. And see, that's what we see with Peter here. 
as he's sinking, he remembers the Lord. And he said, cries out, Lord, save me. Now, with the prodigal son, you don't see the father have his arms folded, tapping his foot and say, well, it's about time. But what do you see the father doing? He runs to the prodigal son. And when Jesus cries out, Lord, save me, the Lord doesn't say, swim harder, Peter. Just swim harder. That, that's, that's legalism. This is, this is one of those times where it says, Lord, I can't. I need you. It's a reminder that we desperately need the Lord, that apart from him we can do nothing. And so what you see here is the Lord reaching out his hand and grabbing him, saving him. It's a reminder that even when we're not strong enough to hold on to Jesus, he's strong enough to hold on to us. When you're sinking, look to Jesus. Let me put up Psalm 69, 1. Notice what this says. Psalmist says, save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters and the flood sweeps over me. Notice what he says, save me, O God. How about Psalm, 18, or Psalm 18? He sent from on high. He took me. He drew me up out of many waters. Listen, when you're sinking, look to Jesus. And Peter had enough faith to, to get out of the boat, but he also had enough faith to cry, Lord, save me. Let me give you one more quote from Spurgeon. It's a Spurgeon kind of day. Notice what Spurgeon says here. He says, Peter was nearer his Lord when he was sinking than when he was walking. In our lowest state, we are often nearer to Jesus than our more glorious seasons. How many of you can attest to that? That's like when we're struggling, when we're sinking, when we can't. It's like we're just praying to the Lord maybe like never before. But it's like when everything is going fine, you know, it's like, I got this, Jesus. I'll let you know when I need you. And sometimes storms remind us of our need for Jesus. And that's what you see here. This may be one of the reasons that Jesus allows storms in our lives. That when things are going great, we can coast, we can become complacent. And our faith may be more in ourselves than in our abilities and more in ourselves and our abilities than in Jesus. Listen, when storms hit, when trials come, we can quickly be, a, be aware of our own ability and we can become like the prodigal son who just looks up and says, I will go to the Father. It's in these times that Jesus grows our faith. So we see that Jesus catches him and then he teaches him. Look at verse 31 again. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him saying, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Now, Peter isn't being rebuked for having no faith, but he's being rebuked for having a vacillating faith. His doubt had overshadowed his faith. He stopped looking to the Lord. He looked at the circumstances around him and he allowed the circumstances to become greater than who we knew the Lord was. That can happen to us. That we start looking at everything around us and all of a sudden the anxiety, the tension, the fear comes in. 
His doubt overshadowed his faith. How often do we have a vacillating faith? We trust him for salvation, yet we don't trust him for some of the day-to-day stuff that takes place. That's a vacillating faith. There are times when our faith will be tested so we can see how much faith that we have. Listen, when the wind is against you, look to Jesus. When there's confusion and darkness, look to Jesus. When, when, when fear has you sinking, look to Jesus. And finally, because he is God, look to Jesus. Because he is God, look to Jesus. Now look at verse 32. And when they got in the boat, the wind ceased. So, doesn't say this, but I'm guessing, however far they were from the boat, Jesus and Peter walking hand in hand back to the boat. That would have been pretty awesome. And then they get into the boat. And at this point, the wind ceased. And it was immediate. It's another miracle. It would have been awesome once again. You, you see his power and his authority. And all of a sudden in that moment, the disciples, their understanding of who Jesus was, it would have, it would have just grown once again. And at that point, there's only one response they could have. Worship. Worship. Notice what it says in verse 33. And those in the boat worshipped him saying, truly, you are the son of God. They worshipped him. They declared him God. See, worship should always be the result of a right view of who Jesus is. And that's why I say, listen, the worship, I love our worship here. I love what Chris does. I love our audiovisual people. I love our whole team. Our worship is, is, is great. But the worship is not designed to set the table for the preaching. The preaching should give us a greater view of who God is. So it informs our worship. Because we have a greater understanding of who Jesus is and what he has done. The worship, I believe, is probably the most important time because it is us taking what we know about God and giving him praise back. Worship should always be the response to a right view of Jesus. This was the response of Jonah. Remember Jonah? We talked about him at the beginning of the message. He was supposed to go to Nineveh, but he got on a boat and he went to Tarshish. And, and, and so on this ship, all of a sudden, because of his disobedience, God hurled a great storm on him. And he goes down into the bottom of the boat. He's sleeping. The boat is all over the place. And finally, they're, they're wanting to know who sinned. And finally, Jonah says, well, it's because of me that this happened. So what do they do? They throw him over the side of the boat. And does it end there? No. Some big old guppy comes up and swallows him whole. And it was at that point that he turns his eyes to Jesus. He prays. Notice what he prays. Let me put up Jonah chapter 2. I'm going to ask our worship team to come up as, we, as I do. Jonah says, I called out to the Lord out of my distress. And he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried. And you heard my voice. 
For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounds me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Listen, when you're sinking, eyes on Jesus. Listen, some of you today may be in a storm. The winds are against you. There's confusion and darkness. Fear has has you sinking. Look to Jesus. Put your eyes on Jesus. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is God who took on flesh. He came into this world. He lived a sinless life, a life we couldn't live. He died a sacrificial death uh, in our place on the cross. He was buried on the third day. He was raised. Why? So we could have eternal life. Look to Jesus. He is your only hope for eternal life, but he is your only hope in the storm. And that's why we praise his name. I'm just going to have you close your eyes for a minute and just bow your hearts before the Lord. Some of you might be going through a storm right now. Maybe this is a good reminder for you to look to Jesus. He's the only one that saves. He's the one that is present in the midst of your storms. And he's the one that can take you out of this storm. Maybe you've been toiling against the wind, struggling. confess that and ask for forgiveness of that. Say, Lord, I just need to look to you. Look to him in your, through his word. Look to him by prayer. Look to him by depending upon the Holy Spirit. Father, I just pray for those that are struggling with storms right now that you would meet them at their point of need, that they would fix their eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of their faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame is now sitting at the right hand of the Father. And so, Lord, we know that Jesus is sitting next to you right now, interceding on our behalf. Father, I pray if there's anyone here today that doesn't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, that today they would look to you as their only hope for eternal life. They would surrender all that they are. They would turn from their sin, which is called repentance, and they would turn to you. Lord, I pray that they would just cry out to you, Lord, save me. So, Lord, I just pray now that because of what we know about Jesus, that we would worship him from the depths of our hearts. It's in Jesus' name I pray.